Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. To borrow from the great Mike Lang, it is a hockey night in Pittsburgh. The Penguins return home to take on the Arizona Coyotes. A couple of fun storylines for that one. Logan Cooley returns to play in Pittsburgh for the first time as a member of the National Hockey League. And uh, good old Jason Zucker making his return to Pittsburgh as well, but the storylines are not surrounding the game this week. The storylines are surrounding the president of Hockey Ops slash general manager Kyle Dubas and his rather impromptu meeting with the media yesterday. We'll dive into a lot of the things he said. He put to bed a lot of rumors. He brought a couple other things up that were addressed in the Pittsburgh Penguins over the past couple of weeks and what questions had arisen. He was somewhat able to put a lot of those to bed. So we'll talk about what he said. But Horwat, you were there yesterday. How surprised were you first when you got the email that he was talking? And secondly, what was the aura around the room when, okay, what is about to happen here? What was your best guess going in that did not happen? Uh, so I wasn't fully surprised. The team's not in a great spot. And sometimes this is the kind of time when a um, when a general manager or president of hockey operation is going to hit the podium, is going to hit the microphone, is going to say what's going on, especially after we just signed some, I, maybe not technically signed, but just brought a player in for a tryout. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily feel like there was a bad aura around it. Um, I I just arrived at the practice facility whenever I got the email, so it's not like I was in a panic of, oh, i got to get to do this, this, and this. Um, no, nothing really seemed off. I think maybe I there was like one dark spot in my brain that was like, this means Brian Russ is out for the season. No, not at all. Week to week. And who, I'm, we're sure it might be a longer week to week discussion we'll have later if you can see our rundown. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't think it felt like anything negative. Um Maybe you because immediately following that practice started and it's not like anyone out of the ordinary was missing or added. It was kind of just uh, it's, you know, you still see Mike Sullivan there. Okay, so coaching staff seems to be safe. Todd Reardon's there. Okay, that part of the coaching staff seems to still be safe for now as well. No players were missing that weren't supposed to be missing. Lars Eller ended up being sick, but he's going to be okay. Um, and Paul Yarvey, who we will get to, uh, just part of the process. So nothing really seemed to be, oh my goodness, this is not great. Uh, yeah. It was all just kind of, eh, just another day, we're just getting an extra voice today. 
Well, if you want the rundown for the show, Horwat just gave it to you, so we can move on to segment number one yep. in this one. And the biggest news that came out of that was really Dubas doubling down and supporting the coaching staff, including head coach Mike Sullivan. The noise was getting a little loud regarding Sullivan and his safety as head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, but when Dubas met with the media members, I mean, you had to imagine that there was going to be a statement made, whether backing or whether putting to task, and, and he didn't put to task this time. He fully backed his coaching staff. He fully backed the decisions that he made. And he, he put a lot of the onus on himself as to why the Pittsburgh Penguins are in the position that they're in. But when it comes to what he said on Mike Sullivan, this was the quote, quote, very, very fortunate to have Mike. Do I think that he's a person for this job now and far into the future? I absolutely do. So that is ringing endorsement for Mike Sullivan, not just this season, but moving forward. And as we've mentioned several times, Mike Sullivan does have a three-year contract extension that kicks in after the season. So far into the future could actually mean far into the future without having to worry about a contract dispute. So definitely, um, I think a good thing that Kyle Dubas had doubled down on Mike Sullivan, regardless of... You know, the job you think Mike Sullivan is doing, whether or not you think that his system is going to be able to work now and into the future for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A good thing that Dubas comes in and quiets the noise because sometimes that noise can be more harmful than anything else to a hockey team. Yeah, he's um, he's you know, planting the flag. He, this is our guy. Here you go. You're going to have him. Uh, Kyle Dubas took it upon himself that he needs to be better and get you know, more productive faces for the coaching staff. He's Kyle Dubas is taking a lot of the brunt here. Um, and for what it's worth, I am, uh, you know, with him on this. I do, I think I've said before that, like, Mike Sullivan seems like he could be the right guy for this job. He really does. It's the way things are going on the ice. That's on the players that need to really ramp themselves up. Maybe certain, and we discussed, like, maybe certain um, priorities and, uh, job descriptions need to be changed a little bit for certain play for certain coaches but i mean as of right now mike sullivan seems like the proper guy to lead the penguins to where they want to be and where they want to go it's um the changes aren't going going to happen overnight but mm -hmm. uh and the process is going to take a couple take a little time but um i'm with dubas on this one too i think mike sullivan is the right guy and you know a lot of times i was listening to uh, Rob Rossi on the Jeff Merrick show before uh, we hopped on here. Um, Merrick brought up sometimes when a general manager says that, that immediately means the opposite. Um, but Rossi said this time around, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like he's mm -hmm. going to be here. Um, and a lot of, you know, the a lot of the insiders, and a lot of the smarter people, I guess, agree that Mike Sullivan is the right guy, no matter how you put it. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because there's always the backing of FSG that comes yep. into the picture here because of how much that they immediately were outspoken and how much they enjoyed having Mike Sullivan as the head coach. And, and, you know, Kyle Dubas echoed a similar sentiment there, saying that, you know, the day-to-day -day operations, he had his preconceived notions of what Mike Sullivan was as a head coach and as somebody that he wants to work with. And then he's been blown away by the preparation, the day-to-day -day work that Mike Sullivan has done. And also something that he mentioned and something else that I think that a lot of this was just kind of trying to quiet down the outside noise was saying, like, that the coaching staff is, quote, not beholden to what worked in the past. And they're trying to figure yeah. out what's going to work moving forward, which is something that a lot of fans 
fans are criticizing the Penguins for is sticking in their same ways, whether that be on the power play, whether that be just their five-on-five approach to the game. Um, Dubas trying to quiet that notion and saying, hey, our coaches are looking for new ways to win games. They're looking to grow as the game grows, change as the game changes and adapt to the way the game is being played today. Um, and I think that you're that's something that you're going to have to keep an eye out for moving forward. I don't think it's changed as rapidly as some fans would like to hope, but I also think there is, a cert, to a certain extent, uh, some onus that needs to go on these players because you look at what the organization has seen this season as far as you know performance-wise. The first line's been great. The goaltending's been great. Some defensemen have been great. Some defensemen haven't been great. But you look at the second line in particular – and, you know, people are going to say that I'm I'm kind of like looking directly at like Malkin. I'm not. It's it's not even Malkin most of the time because early in the season, Raquel couldn't do anything. The midpoint of the season, Riley Smith couldn't do anything. Now he scored on Friday, so maybe that kicks something in the high gear. But, I mean, Malkin hasn't had two wingers playing at the top of their game at all this season. And there have been some games where Malkin hasn't been at the top of the game. And then the bottom six, I mean, look no further than the line rushes yesterday. I mean, it, it, right now the injuries yeah. are an issue. But before the injuries, it was all these players trying to get in and trying to get on the same page because a lot of them were new faces. Yeah. So it at the end of the day, is it coaching? Potentially, yes. I, I do think the coaching needs to evolve and uh, evolve a little bit quicker than they have. But to a certain extent, it's also the players as well because there's been injuries, and before injuries, it was just poor performance on certain ends. Yeah, it, it, no matter what way you look at it, the, the coaches aren't the ones on the field or on the ice making yeah. these decisions and you know uh, performing and or underperforming against the other teams. Uh, it, in Pittsburgh and Elliott, we're going to have the discussion of coaching changes until it happens, at least on the gridiron, yeah. maybe even on the ice. Because like, who, who knows? Maybe Kyle Dubas was kind of just trying to throw everyone off and is a really good actor. Doubtful, <laughs> but we get, but we know that anything is possible here. Um, it, it, Pittsburgh is going to beg for coaching changes until the sun burns out. Like, it's just the way it is. Um, that being said, we think this one for Mike Sullivan is going to stick around and it's up to the players to make that decision. Um, mm-hmm. And when you do look at the bottom six, I mean, yeah, it's full of injuries. Kyle Dubas said that's not an excuse, but it definitely doesn't help. It doesn't have to be an excuse, but we can all agree that mm-hmm. losing Nolachari, Matt Nieto, other names that have all of a sudden escaped me. But it, I mean, even even Drew O'Connor having to move up into the top yeah. six, that takes away from what yeah. your bottom six was able to build early in the season because because of that, Redeem Zahorna is gone dormant. Yeah, Mo- having to move up players because Raquel and Ruster hurt, suddenly your bottom six has become all these AHL guys that you, know, you brought in for a reason. And like I said before, it's, yeah, having them step in is going to be good. Having them mm-hmm. perform... You know, in fill-in roles is going to be good because they are NHL-level talents. You didn't expect to have to use them all at once. That was kind yeah. of that's kind of where it's been. And like you said, when you look at this bottom six, that's exactly what it looks like. It is uh, Jansen Harkins still trying to find some footing. Lars Eller is here, and just with who? With who? Who does he have here? It's redeems a Horner who's just gone ice cold, and a complete AHL third, fourth line. It's, yeah. I mean, the Mark Johnstone story is awesome, and I like seeing stuff. Everyone likes seeing stuff like that, and we're gonna maybe want to see a little more from him. Jonathan Gruden's still kind of a prospect, but doesn't seem to be um, 
you know, the kind of prospect you envy towards and want to see more from. He's going to be the Teddy yeah. Bluger prospect, where once he's here, he's going to stick in the depth role and play defense. Mm-hmm. And Valtteri Pustin is up in this NHL lineup and playing in the top six, but I mean, he's going to play going to play in his third NHL game tonight if he's in the lineup. That's still very very new and yeah, it's hard to get integrated, especially whenever your first one was two years ago. So, 637 days between game one and game two. Yeah, so it's it's going to be a rough ride still. I don't expect the lineup to wake up in the matter of a night. Um, oh, man. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's not on the coaches per se. There are mm-hmm. – and injuries aren't an excuse, but you can see where that's, a, that's holding them back. Yeah, and I think part of this is also Kyle Dubas coming in at this point in time is bulletproof. Right, he just signed that yeah. seven-year deal. He's the president of hockey operations, and he's the general manager, so he answers directly to management, mm-hmm. right, to, to to the head of management. So he's bulletproof right now. So yes, he's gonna you know take one for his head coach because at the end of the day, if he doesn't, then that could make the way that Mike Sullivan coaches the team change, and that could hurt the team. That could make the way the team looks at Mike Sullivan. Nobody wants to play for a lame duck head coach, right? right? Nobody wants to play for a head coach that they know is on their way out or that they might question whether or not he's going to be coaching and making decisions for the betterment of his job security or making decisions for the betterment of the team. Now, everybody's going to come out and say, listen, I'm always team first, always team first, but when your job's on the line, your mentality changes a little bit. So I think it's a good thing for Kyle Dubas to be straight up in this instance and say, hey, listen, Sully is secure now and into the future. We have no thoughts of firing him, at least public-facing, saying that to try to quiet some of the noise so Sullivan can focus on his job and the task at hand, which is turning around this team. And yes, it's not an excuse, specifically not an excuse for Mike Sullivan based on the players that he was given. It does fall to Kyle Dubas, though. I mean, last week we said... He made the line change, the de facto line change with the AHL, and you just kind of alluded to it. Three players came up and got into the lineup that had a combined four NHL games of experience at the time. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're hoping, and as we'll talk about in the second segment, you're hoping that some of these guys take the opportunity and run with it. And I think that's been the biggest issue is a lot of opportunity has been given this year to a handful of different players. Nobody's really taken it, ran with it, and and became that NHL regular that wasn't already one before. Yeah, and that's exactly what Dubas said as well. He said that if that's one of the other points, if the bottom six or if the depth, um, you know, there's been the issues already. That's on him. He stated that clear as day. That that's on him because he hasn't quote unquote built the right, you know, group of guys. And then with these injuries piling up, there's more opportunities for other depth options to fill in. And then he said, if they don't perform well enough or this, that, and the other, then that's again that is on him. So Kyle Dubes mm-hmm. is taking all of the depth blame here. Um, that as he should. As he, yeah, he's the one building this <laughs> roster. He was the one that brought in however many new faces to this team that. Mm-hmm. Whether they have seen the NHL yet, whether they signed a PTO and then signed an AHL contract, whether they, um, you know, just have or have not worked, it's all on Dubas with these new faces, with these new depth players, and as it should be, absolutely. There's nothing much Sullivan can do because he's just been given these guys, mm-hmm. uh, and he's creating lineups, and he's been and and Mike Sullivan has done a fairly decent job this year of making proper scratches making you know taking guys in and out of the lineup adjusting certain parts of the lineup i mean the power play lineup hasn't been the same in about 
Every every game, it's a new face, at least on the top unit. It's a new this person. It's a new this person. It's a new mm-hmm. this. I mean, we're yet to see one that really sticks and works. But um, Mike Sullivan is tinkering every step of the way. So mm-hmm. he's definitely. It's not like he's given up on the team. It's not like his message isn't um, being sent. He's still sending it out, and that winning is the only option here. Yeah. So. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think I already said this, but like it's good for a coach to know he's not one bad decision away from the unemployment line. Yeah. So. Yeah. So to so to have that backing publicly from your general manager is something that probably isn't necessary in the room, but it's necessary out of the room, and it should put away an end to the speculation, whether that's internet or otherwise, that that Mike Sullivan is on the hot seat. He is at least from appearance not on the hot seat. Now again. Kyle Dubas could just be giving everybody a little bit of lip service, but you know that's one of the things that he's he's very good at. He's good at talking. Uh, we'll see if he's able to back it up here in the coming weeks. But let's continue to talk about what he was able to discuss yesterday in that press conference and specifically looking for the opportunity that he's giving certain players and whether or not they can take advantage of it and what he wants to see moving forward on the ice, not behind the bench. We'll talk about that after the break. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We're talking a little bit about Kyle Dubas's presser yesterday. He spoke to the media after the Penguins come home from a 0-3 road trip, two losses in a row, actually, to Philadelphia, dating back to before the road trip, and then two losses in Florida, one to Tampa Bay and one to the Florida Panthers, 3-1 to one on Friday night. Now, the game against the Panthers, they performed better. Mm-hmm. So it was certainly a better effort, but again, the result is still the same. One goal scored, not a lot of offense in general, and you lose by you know the empty netter at the end by two goals, and you don't get any standings points. The results need to start coming because a lot of the time, I feel like Mike Sullivan talks about the process leading up to goals being just as important as goals. Like We want to make sure that our process getting up to that point is good. That way, when we get to the point of scoring the goals, it's that's the last piece of the puzzle. We need the rest of the puzzle to go. I think leading up to it and the process looked good but again the same issues that we've seen for this team over the past couple seasons that finishing ability just not there 
just not there. And, and the problem is you're looking at a lot of new players in and out of the lineup, players filtering in and out of the lineup. Mark Johnstone making his NHL debut on Friday. Jonathan Gruden getting back up and staying more than two hours because the game was two and a half hours. So he was at the NHL level for a little bit longer. He actually got to spend a weekend with the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. You have... You know, Valtteri Pustin and finally getting that other opportunity. He's still a point-per-game player in the National Hockey League through two games now, uh, two secondary assists in both games. But you look at what Kyle Dubas said yesterday. Now, he did specifically narrow it down to talking about the third pairing on the defensive side, but he said they're waiting for a lot of their depth guys to take the opportunities that have been presented to them and run with it and solidify themselves. And he, he mentioned by name P.O. Joseph, Chad Ruweedle, John Ludwig, Ryan Shea. So at the end of the day, we'll talk about that. But I think that what he was saying kind of encapsulates the entire team because there's a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities that are open in the bottom six as well as the defensive third pairing. There are. It's There's chances all over the place for every single name that he listed every single name that we have not even talked about or discussed. Everyone on this roster still has a chance to battle for a positioning. And there are guys in the AHL that still haven't gotten their shot in the NHL yet this year. Colin White comes to mind right away. Yeah. I mean, he was a PTO. I don't know uh, I don't know why he hasn't gotten his chance yet, considering you know, came in with some pre- pretty high pedigree and praise from the organization, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the opportunities are there. It's time for the right guys to take them and run with them. And like Duba said, if they if they don't, if things aren't performing at the right level, he that's on him. He's going to try and get in there and find the right guys. And saw that step one, Jesse Pooljarvi coming in uh, on a free agent tryout, mm-hmm. essentially a PTO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, essentially a PTO for, for Pooljarvi, and we'll get to him in, in just a second. But I think the one thing that we probably should have noticed and kind of went over the heads of us and everybody else, really, I didn't see anybody notice or, you know, kind of particularly point this out before the season started is coming into training camp. We had talked about, hey, there's half dozen roster spots up for grabs. How quickly did a lot of those competitions end? I mean, P.O. Joseph, by the, the third, fourth day of camp, you said, all right, well, he's the number five defenseman far and away. Drew O'Connor quickly. Oh yeah, he he's that guy. The th- the fourth line. Yeah, you know what? It's gonna be the veterans. It's gonna be Achari and Nieto and Carter. A lot of these positions quickly, quickly dried up. A lot of these competitions quickly dried up. At the end of the day, there was really only because I mean Chad Ruedel kind of earned that spot too. There was really only the extra defense spot, the thirteenth forward, and the third line right wing. Out of over a half dozen positions. There was three left very quickly. And yes, those went on throughout camp. But that tells you the gap that there is between a player like Drew O'Connor and P.O. Joseph, who still had a lot of question marks, and the rest of these guys fighting for positions. There's such a gap there that it tells you that, listen, Kyle Dubas didn't bring in a bunch of surefire things. He brought in a bunch of question marks. And the problem is we're 26 games into the season, whatever it may be. 
a lot of those questions remain unanswered. And that's something that, you know, I don't think anybody realizes, you know, how quickly these these competitions closed up in training camp. Some of them, like Drew O'Connor and P.O. Joseph, that should have been a telltale sign that a lot of these other guys are not quite at a level that you could really expect them to be extremely successful, at least early in the season, because they still needed to answer some questions. And that's the problem is we're at this point of the season, and there's still questions. Like Ryan Shea, is he an NHL caliber defenseman? I think that that's still a very, still a very pertinent question. Yeah. And Shea has been in the lineup now for what three straight weeks because there's been nobody else to come up to take that position. They signed Dmitry Samarukov. He doesn't get a single game of NHL action. He's currently on waivers, so we're waiting to see if he goes back down. But that's because the Penguins were waiting till Pio Joseph came back off of long-term injured reserve. That's the problem. If you don't have anybody to spell two rookies going as your third pairing, that tells me that the depth is not something you're entirely comfortable with. Now, again, I might be reading into it too much. And as as Duba said yesterday and you were there, if they don't succeed and these players don't take the opportunity, run with it and take the opportunity to become that guy, to embody that role, the Pens are going to need to go find somebody who will. Mm -hmm. So... The question becomes, is P.O. Joseph, when he gets that opportunity, going to take it and, and run with it and be the guy we saw last year and take over Ryan Shea's position, take over maybe John Ludwig's position? But is somebody going to step up? Because I think, you know, that's what Duba said yesterday is essentially in a lot of these roles, players haven't stepped up to the level that they need to to solidify themselves in those positions. It's a matter of stepping up and running with it. I think he's going to I think P.O. Joseph is going to work his way back into the lineup for sure. Yeah, um, they wouldn't have given him the conditioning stint if they didn't have that that kind of plan. Uh, but and for Ryan Shea, he's been in for far longer than three weeks. He's got 22 games played now. He came in in game four and hasn't been taken out yeah. since. Um, that's just the way yeah. it, it, it's. He, and he's been, you know, a third pairing defenseman. It's without without much of an option behind him. He's just been a third pairing guy. Yes, yeah, Sam Rukov was here and earned his way into an NHL contract, but. I, I don't know why you could or couldn't have given him a chance. I kind of forgot he was on the roster until <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, until until for whatever reason, I just forgot he was here. Like that's how little thought process was put into him uh, through more than just uh, signing a contract a few weeks ago. Um, as for you know John Ludwig, I think I think Mike Sullivan likes him a lot, so I'm not sure what kind of push that'll have for him. I bet Ludwig sticks around a little bit longer, but he gets more of a chance because um, Penguins like his physical presence. He plays like Mark Friedman, essentially. He is mm -hmm. um, left-handed Mark Friedman. That's kind of the vibe that I've gotten from him. And you know, Ryan Shea, that's just going to be a P.O. Joseph spot and see where things go from there. I, the words touch and go for Chad Ruedel from Dubas was interesting. Um, it's worst we will see where that goes. I mean... It's, it's still mind-boggling to think Chad Ruedel's one of the longest-tenured Penguins on the team right now. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know if necessarily he's the right option either. I mean, it's when it comes to a third pairing, you're not expecting that much, especially when your top four consists of Latang and Carlson. Uh, you're not expecting your third pairing to necessarily perform. You know, you're not expecting them to score points, that's for sure, but... You want him to just be your shut down guys that are out there for ten minutes a game, maybe mm -hmm. a little over, and 
work from there, and we'll see where it goes. I think P.O. Joseph's going to work his way back in. And don't forget, if you know Kyle Dubas is trying to make some deals, that's probably where the conversation starts with P.O. Joseph specifically. And there doesn't need to be much in return because even after John Ludwig and Chad Ruiz and Ryan Shea in the AHL, there's still Ty Smith if they want that option. There's still Jack Rathbone if they want that option. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple more names back down there. So there's options for this bottom six. We just haven't seen too many. Sam Rukov is down there, so you mm-hmm. keep forgetting about him. There are options everywhere. And now's when I think because of what Kyle Dubas said with him take him taking blame on the depth, we're going to start really seeing some changes in movement with that uh, bottom mm-hmm. pairing. Yeah, I've always said the best thing about a bottom pairing would be if they could play 10 minutes and you forget that they were even on the ice yeah. at all. So if the Penguins can do that, now the, the difference is John Ludwig is not somebody that's going to fly under the radar. When he's on the ice, he's going to make an impact. And that's a good thing. Like, the Penguins need that. They yeah. need a little bit of that physicality. They need that sandpaper. And like you said, he's kind of like Mark Friedman. He likes to get under people's skin. The only difference is he could probably eat Mark Friedman for lunch when it comes to size. Uh, so he uses that, though. Like, that's the, that's the big thing. And speaking of somebody that uses their size a little bit more... That's Jesse Pugliarvi, mm-hmm. or Jesse Pugliarvi. It depends if you go with the hockey reference pronunciation or what. I mean, even Kyle called him Jesse yesterday, so we're going to stick with Jesse Pugliarvi. According to Rob Rossi, all player expenses on a on a free agent tryout are covered for the first 10 days, so we might find out pretty quickly whether or not the Pittsburgh Penguins end up signing Pugliarvi to an actual full NHL deal. He is coming off of double hip surgery in late July. That was his second hip surgery of his NHL career. His first one was following the 2018-19 season or during the 2018-19 season that ended that year for him. He was cleared for full contact training last week, but has been training in Finland since at least the beginning of October, according to Chris Johnston of TSN and The Athletic. When asked about Jesse Pugliarvi yesterday by Nick Horwath across from me, Kyle Dubas said it's going to be a process day to day to make sure that we are putting him in the best position so that when we do make a decision on him, he's able to withstand the rigors of an NHL season. Horwat, how do you see a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi impacting the Pittsburgh Penguins this season if he is indeed signed to an NHL deal? Seeing him being that e- just an easy, maybe not an easy, but an obvious choice to be that third line right winger that you mm-hmm. said was a camp battle and has been filled in by you know, whoever's healthy, I guess. Uh, and, you know, because it went to Hanson Harkins at first, then it went to Redeem Zahorna, and then injuries. So now it's Jeff Carter sitting in there. It's <clears throat> it, it's going to be his spot to lose almost um, because Zahorna's gone ice cold because Harkins really just doesn't fit the mold. Um, we'll see if that's really where it sticks. That's just where I think he should be landing. Um because we've seen him we've seen him play alongside Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Uh, I don't think he's going to get that opportunity here. He might. That that proves that he can move up in the lineup if need be. Here yeah. we are with without Terry Pustin playing on the second line, Drew O'Connor playing on the first. If Jesse Pugliarvi comes in and earns his way to a full contract, gets some playing time under him, fully recovers from uh, hip surgery, double hip surgery. Like, I actually don't fully know which one it is i asked uh, around and i was told that it was just a normal bilateral but then i saw somewhere that it was hip resurfacing which is what patrick kane just had i don't know uh i would like to actually relook into everything and figure out exactly which hip surgery it was 
neither here nor there for now. Um, if he's able to come in and you know look like a good speedy player, I mean, I'm not taking speed into account because again, just had hip surgery. Mm-hmm. But he's able if he's able to come in and produce and be a decent performer, um, much like Brian Rust is alongside Sidney Crosby, then Puliarvi has a chance to flow up and down this lineup. It's the way, same way we looked at Raquel whenever he arrived. He can, but from an offensive standpoint, he can produce first line, second line. You can drop Raquel to the third if you need to. Puliarvi can be the puck hog on the uh, in the depth. He's going to use that size. Looking at his hit numbers, looks like he likes to throw his six foot four frame around a little bit. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and creating space for if he needs to move up into the top six, creating space for those guys. I think this is a perfect option, really. I, I mean, I've also been banging the Jesse Pugliarvi drum since before. <laughs> you have. Man, since before he had his first hip surgery, probably. Yeah, 2018. <laughs> Bare minimum. I found a, an old story from our website. It was at it was after the 21-22 season, so before last year, where I said they should be taking a look at him. So, at least in my head, this is a long time coming, and it's finally here let's see how it goes again it's not guaranteed yet he doesn't have a contract yet but i already get the vibe that kyle dubas is going to want to sign him on mm-hmm. and depending he's only had one skate so far in front of mike sullivan we'll see where um he's able to take that i bet sullivan ends up enjoying him too because size he's gonna have some skill and he's got that ability to play with the stars if you need him to mm-hmm. Not to mention defensive responsibility. Yep. I mean, the guy's a good two-way forward. That's the one thing that everybody has said since he signed to that, you know, that 10-day or whatever it is, the, the tryout contract. Everybody said, hey, he's, he's really good on both ends of the ice. He's a stout defensive forward. He's responsible at his own end. And him lining up next to Lars Eller, which was what I think would be probably the best-case scenario, that gives you a lot of defensive responsibility while both have kind of similar offensive instincts. Now, yes, Jesse Pugliarvi's known to struggle a little bit in the finishing department, but what else is new for the Pittsburgh Penguins? I think the biggest thing with him, though, is that he is an upgrade over Redeem Zahorna. I mentioned earlier in the segment that there is that gap between, you know, Drew O'Connor and then the Zahornas and the Harkins, and we've seen that gap close at times with Zahorna, but I think what you're seeing now is that over time, He just doesn't have that pedigree to sustain through a season, and we have yet to see whether or not he can bounce back in a season, which is another big thing. If he can't bounce back, and he's only good for that first two weeks that needs sent down, he's not an answer in the third line. I think Jesse Pugliarvi is an upgrade over Zahorna in the fact that he has shown that he can sustain at least a level of play that is NHL caliber throughout an entire season. He's done it multiple times. He comes in with a higher pedigree when it comes to draft ratings, where he was early in his career, so he started from a higher platform than Redeem Zahorna. And the biggest thing is something that you led this entire conversation off with. He is six foot four mm-hmm. and knows he's six foot four. Redeem Zahorna is what, six five and thinks he's five foot ten. There's no physicality from Redeem Zahorna. And I you know, you hate to say that about a guy. I'm never going to call the guy the S-word. I'm not going to call him the S-word, but I don't think he uses his physicality nearly enough. And he's a guy that is not going to mix it up at all. And in that third-line third role, when you're trying to protect your own net front or if you get placed in the net front on the power play, when you're that big of a guy, you should be a power play impact. Zahorna can't do that because he can't play the net front because he's just 
not mentally ready to play that position despite his size. Paul Yarvey is somebody that has shown that in his size, he knows how to use it. And that's something that I think is going to be good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I do think he ends up signing an NHL contract. It's probably going to end up being a one-year deal. It's probably going to be very cheap yeah. because, like you mentioned, he's coming off of whether it was resurfacing or whether it was just a regular bilateral. He's coming off of double hip surgery. He's coming off his second hip surgery of his NHL career, and he's only 25 years old. He's having the same injury issues that Nick Backstrom and Patrick Kane are having, and they're at the end of their career. So. How does that affect how he's going to be able to play this season? That is yet to be determined. But at the end of the day, if he plays anywhere near the level that he played even last season when he was with the the Carolina Hurricanes for part of the season, he was with the Edmonton Oilers for the first part of the season. If he plays near that, that's still an upgrade on the bottom six, which is kind of an indictment on what Kyle Dubas has done to this point. But as we mentioned, Dubas is taking full credit for that and full you know, blame for that. And he's trying to fix it here with a move in Jesse, or Jesse Poole-Yarvey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip-flop between those two the entire time he's here in Pittsburgh. But, That's all right. You know, he's trying to fix it, and Jesse Poole-Yarvey is one of the first dominoes to fall when it comes to that. Yeah, and what's great is that sometimes players that arrive on show-me deals, because that is straight up what it's going to be. You... This isn't a player you're going to sign on for multiple years. I don't think. That, I mean, I don't know if that would make sense. Um, it's almost like Alex Andelkovich coming in here. You're you're bringing this player on into the Pittsburgh Penguins roster. You're almost not expecting him to be here next year because he's going to try and prove his worth in the league, and you just want to catch fire with him right now. And have success with him right now. Let him go do his thing next year while you filter in someone else. Um, and I don't think that's an awful idea. If Nadelkovich ends up liking it, wants to stay as the backup, perfectly fine as well. And same with Paul Yarvey. If he comes in, proves his worth, and then realizes maybe other teams don't want him, or we hand him a nice, a, a decent contract that is suitable to him, and he sticks around for a few more years after. It's all about that show-me deal. Sometimes players coming in on that do um, not necessarily exceed expectations, but definitely have more of a chip on their shoulder and have more to prove. So that'll be interesting to see as well because of that's exactly what it's going to be if, 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 if he stays. Uh, mm -hmm. And we all kind of assume he will. Yeah, we we expect him. Obviously not anytime in the nearest, nearest future. He's probably not playing tonight. Yeah. He's definitely not he playing tonight against Arizona. He cannot play tonight until he has a full deal. So that's another part of the... Uh, yeah, I mean, at situation. the end of the day, they could si they could sign him at six thirty and play him at seven, but I yeah. doubt that he's going to with one practice with the organization where he did rotate in with the top line, but really didn't take full line rushes as a member of the Penguins. It yet. also still seems like he's kind of working his way through rehab. Actually, I mean, he took that yeah. on ice, and then uh, the next day wasn't. So I think he's still working through the health part of it. Yep. Um, and. So we don't really know how long that's going to take. Like you said, he's been recovering for a couple months now already. Was recently cleared for training with contact. Um, who knows how long it'll be until he's cleared for games, if that is if that is even another step that has to be taken. Um, but it seems like he's still working through the health part of it as well. Yeah, we'll wait and see on that. He's probably not going to be playing at all this week. Maybe at some point next week, or maybe they just hold off. And wait until, I mean, the 10 days are up just before the Christmas break comes for the Pittsburgh Penguins, so they might just hold off until after the Christmas break to bring in Jesse Pugliarvi and, and have him play in a game. But at the end of the day, uh, that's something to monitor. Obviously, he's with the organization. He's with the team now. He'll probably travel with the team when they go on their, their next road swing. But, you know, the Penguins, they need help anywhere they can get it. And a guy of the caliber, or at least 
of, of Jesse Pugliarvi if he can come in and be the player that he was, you know, in Carolina. He was a good depth piece last year for Carolina going into the playoffs. Now he kind of evaporated in the playoffs, but, you know, his scoring touch has evaporated in general. So uh, we'll see if he can get onto the ice and, and if he is indeed the the upgrade to redeem Zahorna that I believe he is. And I think uh, you do concur in, in that aspect. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, not great news surrounding Brian Rust. Better than Horwat expected, hey. but also Horwat, uh, Horwat had a doomsday scenario in his mind. Fortunately, that's not the one that we saw play out yesterday with Kyle Dubas and Mike Sullivan when they talked to the media. We'll get to that right after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Brian Rust is going to be gone for an extended period of time for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Another tough blow to the Pittsburgh Penguins who have had a rash of injuries over the past couple of weeks. Rust missed the final period against the Lightning last week due to an injury. His status was updated to week to week yesterday following practice by head coach Mike Sullivan. He's dealing with an upper body injury. Not only is Brian Rust out, but Ricard Raquel still absent from Pittsburgh Penguins practice. He's working his way back, dealing with an upper body injury as well. He can return officially to the lineup Saturday against Toronto. We've been saying he could return on Wednesday, uh, but the math was not math incorrectly, and we figured that out. He can return on Saturday in Toronto, but to this point... He hasn't joined the Penguins in practice. He's been skating beforehand, so there's a chance that he's not even ready for that game. So the Penguins might be without their top two right wings for the next handful of games, three, maybe four. Yeah, sounds about right. It's going to be a process to get everyone back into health. Um, mm -hmm. So everyone still should still expect a uh, just a wild bottom six for now. Yeah, it's very unfortunate for Rust. I mean, yeah. I feel bad f because this guy has you know, taking a lot of abuse from the fan base over, over the last year heading into this season. And then this year he comes in and he was one of the best players on the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was one third of the best line in hockey for the first quarter of the season. And he was well on his way to a 30 goal season, the first of his career. And now he's going to miss significant time that probably puts an end to any hope that he's going to score 30 this season. But you know, a player that has been very important for the Pittsburgh Penguins, a player that has the Penguins at least in the hunt, to catch up to some of these teams that if they do have a turnaround, they at least aren't as far back. And a lot of that is due to Brian Russ, the way that he's been able to play, you know, not just at five on five, but you know, on the penalty kill as well. He's been one of the leading factors and the driving forces on the forward unit on the penalty kill. So it's going to be a tough, tough ride here for the Pittsburgh Penguins without him, but it leaves the Penguins with some, a couple more opportunities. I, I mean, Kyle Dubas keeps mentioning opportunity. There's two opportunities that have opened up right now. It's Drew O'Connor and Valtteri Pustinen that are in that spot right now. I mean, Jesse Pugliarvi is somebody that could filter in on one of those two spots in the top two lines. I think it's going to be interesting, especially for O'Connor and Pustinen in the next couple games, with Pustin or with Pugliarvi not being able to start yet. It's going to be interesting for those two to see what they're able to do with this opportunity. O'Connor has already had it for a little while. He's been <coughs> up there, and I think he's performed well, probably not to the level that you would hope, uh, for somebody in the top six, but it, more interested to see what Pustin can do with this opportunity, um, considering he's only had one game of NHL experience this season. Yeah, if, for Drew O'Connor, he's almost playing with house money. He doesn't have too much to lose. If you know if things don't work out for him at the top line, all right, back down to the third where we know what you can do. 
Yeah. Uh, as for Pustinen, I think he's getting a good push, a good look here because you know, he is on that second line with Evgeny Malkin, but um, last couple days he's been tinkered with on the first power play unit. And again, we know the power play needs no introduction. We know where it's at. It's 31st in the league now, I think. Um, there's, But that's still a new opportunity for him to maybe wake something up on the power play. Maybe he adds a weird element or a new dimension that something clicks and that's what we roll with for a while um it's he's got that he's got a good shot with him he's got good speed with him he's got a youthful aspect that um this team still needs it's we'll see where he goes he's he's one of the highest highly touted prospects in this organization and he's getting that opportunity to prove why he is top six potential here um First line power play, and we'll see how it all works out. I think, like I said, Drew O'Connor's playing with house money almost. Nothing much to lose, whereas Pustinen um, has to really prove himself, and so far being a point-per-game player isn't bad. I mean, sure, two secondary assists, again, separated by two yeah. years. But it's more than nothing, and they're not taking it away from him anytime soon, those points. Mm-hmm. It's a now a matter of finding a, real, finding a real point almost and getting on the score sheet more and helping every line that you're on mm-hmm. that includes the second line that includes the power play adding the production helping the team out and it's one of those prospects that has a chance of becoming a real deal nhl player in the near future it can't be understated how impactful it would be for this team if valtteri pustin took this opportunity and made himself a household name mm-hmm. because you look at who's been in that spot just since ricard raquel went down Alex Nylander fell flat on his face. Redeem Zahorna fell flat on his face up there. This is the third player they're trying up there since Ricard Raquel went down from injury three weeks ago. So three players in three weeks. They gave Rust Clearly, a shot, I think, for a second, didn't they? Yeah, but I, I again, I'm taking Rust out of it because really he's he's supposed to be a first-line guy. And that was to and get the only Smith going. He, and that was also to get Riley Smith going. That's why that change happened. But, you know, in that spot with Riley Smith and Malkin, Pustin's the third guy to really get a shot in that position. That's taken out of, from out of the bottom six, placed in there, and they're saying, please, please, please work. If he can, the impact on this team is immeasurable. Because then you look at what happens. If next week, Ricard Raquel and Jesse Pugliarvi are ready to go and they're healthy, but Pustinin's performing well over this now five-game sample size in the NHL, okay, you can put Ricard Raquel on the first line. You can drop Drew O'Connor to the third line. You can put Pugliarvi on the third line. You don't have to have him as a top six option. And all of a sudden, your top nine is very solidified. Mm-hmm. You have O'Connor where he is naturally supposed to be, where he fits best in this roster, which is on the third line. He's performed fine in the top six, but all things considered... When you're at your best, Drew O'Connor is not in the top six. And then you have that top nine solidified. And then eventually, you hope they stay healthy and you get Brian Rust back. And now, you're playing with house money. You can drop Drew O'Connor to the fourth. You can put Rust on the third. Have Rust pull Yarvi Eller. And then have, who am I missing? O'Connor with Achari and Nieto, whoever at that point. And your forward lineup looks much, much better. And that's all predicated on one player succeeding in the opportunity that he's given. Valtteri Pustinen, it's never been a question about whether or not he has the offensive skill set to be a top six player. The question has always been, does that, you know, translate to the NHL 
and can he play a complete enough game to warrant leaving him in that type of position? The defensive side has always been a question mark with Valtteri Pustin. Can he perform well enough on the offensive side to negate the negative impact that he has defensively, or can he play decent enough defensively that it doesn't become a liability on the second line with Evgeny Malkin and Riley Smith? That's what we're going to see here over at least the next three games Mm -hmm. because Raquel and Pugliarvi, like we mentioned, aren't going to be ready to go probably in the next three games. So we're going to see that over the next three games. But if he can take that opportunity and run with it, it does so many things for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the short term and in the long term, especially from a position of being able to spread out your offense throughout your forward lineup. Could you imagine how nice it would be to have Rust Eller and Pugliarvi as your third line when all healthy? That would be great for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Would it work? We don't know because we've never seen Rust play with Eller. We've yeah. never seen Pugliarvi play with anybody on this in this in this lineup. So, yeah. you know, you don't know if it would work, but just on paper, by nature, it is far and away better than what you're seeing right now. It's far and away better than what you saw early in the season when you're praying and hoping that Zahorna works on the third line or Harkins works on the third line. So the impact of Pustin could be immense if he can take this opportunity over the next week. And that's that's one of the biggest things that I'm going to be watching tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday is what does Valtteri Pustin look like as time continues to go on at the NHL level. Absolutely, and that's, that's most of what you should be looking at, is how yeah. Pustinen takes to this opportunity, because he can be a top-six player soon, very soon, because the Penguins need that jump of offense, and even if he's playing in the bottom six because he has a somewhat defensive acumen, uh, even then, if not, you, sometimes you just need that jump of offense in the bottom six, and I will keep shouting for that, and he's someone that can provide that if that's what they decide to do and go with. Um. I'm, I, yeah, I'll be watching for the same stuff, the same sort of situations, because he's going to get great opportunities. Because if you look at that fourth line, that is you know, three AHL recalls, they didn't play that much ice time. They played, I think it was like f- five minutes for Gruden, I think seven minutes for Johnstone, and each of them had a minute on the penalty yeah, kill too. So a lot of, not a lot of five on five time for either. Yeah, of them. and they're playing PK stuff, so that's you know, they're playing their roles. They're giving what they can. Um. So they're not going to be on the ice a ton, whereas Pustin is going to come up and he's going to be given that 13, 14, 15 minute ice time with uh, Evgeny Malkin and Riley Smith. He's going to be given that opportunity on the power play if uh, if the Penguins gain a few chances. Because the ironic part is, is how bad this power play is. As a side note, they're one of the least penalized uh, against. They, they've taken some of the least numbers against. I can't remember the exact verbiage for that. They've given they've been given the like the one of the fewest. They've drawn the least amount of penalties. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like second lowest in the NHL. So for as bad yeah. as the power play is, they're not getting as many opportunities as other teams, but uh still the percentage is horrid. Back on track though. If Valtteri Pustin's gonna be given those opportunities, he's gonna be given those chances. Um it's up to him to just look good enough. I mean, he's already looked better than Nylander has in his opportunity. I don't see I think the Nylander train has come to an end. It's hit its final stop, I think. Um, and Pustinen's opportunity is just here. Kyle Dubas keeps talking about chances and depth players coming in and taking their runs. And here, this is it for Valtteri Pustinen right here. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously tonight is a, is a big night for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're trying to get back on track. They're trying to get back 
in their winning ways of losers of four straight. You need to beat a team in the Arizona Coyotes that have had a better season. They're coming in with Connor Ingram, who's had a very good season in net, uh, likely to start because Carol Vimelka started last night in their loss to the Buffalo Sabres. But this is also a team that does a lot of their damage at home. So you have to take advantage of a team that struggles a little bit on the road. They're a young team. They're a fast team. So we'll see how the Penguins are able to match up against them tonight. Jason Zucker returns. Logan Cooley looking to make an impact in Pittsburgh. It's going to be a fun night in Pittsburgh. Let's hope that they are able to go out there and get a win because uh, the entire fan base needs a win. Uh, you know, whether that's the Penguins fan base or Pittsburgh sports in general, uh, the Pittsburgh needs a win tonight, guys. So uh, let's hope the Pittsburgh Penguins can go out there and get the job done. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins or anywhere you get your podcasts from. That's it for this one. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you.